there's a guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. I am, I am a revolutionary. revolutionary. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako and I watched uh, Godzilla vs. Kong this last week. Producer Dave? Hi, I'm producer Dave. Uh, I didn't watch Godzilla versus Kong. You uh, didn't? You got no. sent. The, you got sent the screener. Warner Brothers sent us the screener. I, I, I was. Watch it. I, I was. Uh, I, I, I had other things to do, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was something else. Um, I did see the first episode of Invincible, though. So yeah, that was. That oh. Was we're going to talk about that in just a few seconds. Uh, we've got uh, one of the, uh, you know, it, it's been a while since we've done this, but we've got with us a guest during the intro, and he's going to stay with us throughout the show, apart from an interview that we do later on, but he's going to stay with us throughout the show. Uh, he is a filmmaker. Uh, he's got a uh, a fan film uh, of a Batman fan film called uh, Living in Crime Alley. Please tell us your name, and have you watched Godzilla vs. Kong? Um, hi guys, my name is Rob Ailing, um, and uh, yes, I have seen um, Godzilla vs. Kong. I actually had to try and watch it twice because I did fall asleep in the first 10 minutes the first time I watched it. Um, <laughs> but um, I did watch it all the way through the second time, and uh, well, I survived. Let, that's okay. a review. I survived. So let me, uh, Rob, let me ask you this question. Uh, do, do you know which points you fell asleep at? Uh, do you know it was I felt like it was just a piece of expositional scene like and it was just there was a lot of people talking in like a like a science lab kind of thing and you know yep. Kong was Kong was just there you know he was in this facility and they were talking about oh the containment field is not strong enough blah 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 and I'm just and I that's, that's all I remember the first time watching it that's that's pretty just, early yeah <laughs> Uh, okay, so here's here's why that that made me laugh right from the gut. I fell asleep too. Now the, the thing <laughs> the thing was okay. Here's the thing. Uh, my my issue with with uh, Godzilla versus Kong, um, it, it is what it is, right? It's it's the movie. The it's like that Ron Still advert. It's what it says on the tin, right? It's Godzilla, the monster Godzilla versus the monster Kong, um, King Kong fighting together that's essentially it and obviously they want to make that into a feature film right because that's what it is supposed to be so it sells money 
um, or it makes money. And so they have to fill it in with people, with humans interacting. The problem you have here, it's not like, uh, it's not like if you take any superhero movie, right? It's not like you take uh, something like, let's, let's take Fantastic Four. And I just saw a review about the fan, fan four stick, which is why that popped into my head. It's not like you have Doom and you have the Fantastic Four fighting and then you have to cut to the other humans interacting. It's not like that because you have and you, you can have a connection between the humans and those people, you know, doing their thing. So that makes sense. With this, on the other hand, you have two creatures that have no real understanding of the human machinations that are going on and as such should not, right? You just, anyone who's going to watch Godzilla vs. Kong just wants to see a giant monkey or giant gorilla punch a giant lizard in the face and have, have to deflect you know, ra- you know, fire, uh, radiation fire coming out of the guns. And there are a lot of fans of the of the of the series who are saying, "Dude is butchering it completely." I, I don't know. I look. I start. I first knew about Godzilla when the nineteen ninety eight movie came out, and then I went back and watched all the the Japanese films back in the day just because of that. So you know, hands up. I don't know what the exact terms are, but that's what you're expecting to see. Um. But you've got stellar cast in the film, right? You've got uh, Alexander Skarsgård, you've got uh, Rebecca Hall, you've got, um, uh, uh, oh, I, keep, I always butcher his name, um, Brian Tyree. I, I, I'll research his name and I'll say, I'll say it later on. But I, I know him from Atlanta and he's now in the, in the new Marvel film that's coming out, The Eternals. It's coming out, uh, uh, Brian Ty- Tyree Henry. Uh, so all these people just thrown in there. So good actors thrown in there. Um, but they're inconsequential. They're, they, they, it's, I mean, fair enough. Yes, they, they, they crowbar what their importance would be into the movie, but there's no real need for them to be there. You want to see a monkey punch a lizard, right? So I, I, fell, I, fell asleep. I fell asleep halfway through one of their scenes and I woke up to see Kong punch Godzilla. I was like, okay, we're back in. And I started watching and they cut to the humans and I fell asleep again. And then woke up because there was a lot of noise and it was Godzilla knocking out uh, King Kong. And I was like, okay, we're back in. Ooh, this is whatever. And so on and so forth. But you know what? At the end of the day, I know that's what the filmmakers want. They know that's what it is. That, so, they, you know, I'm sure they're not going to be angry at me for having said what I said about uh, the film. But, you know, uh, I want to thank Warner Brothers for sending us a screener. And please keep sending us screeners. <laughs> no matter what I say, please keep sending it. There are a whole bunch of other people that will enjoy this movie. Um, it, and it was great for me and the kids to watch it. Um, but, you know, the kids didn't fall asleep. The kids enjoyed it. It was all good. It was clean, wholesome fun. So it's fine. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. And I'm an amused producer, Dave. And we have with us filmmaker Rob Ayling, who has made the fan, uh, fan film, uh, the Batman fan film, Living in Crime Alley, which we'll talk to him in just a few minutes uh, about that. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to jump into our film and TV news, where I actually, should we do film and TV news? I'm wondering, we're gonna, this, is, this is how prepared we are on this show. We don't even know where we're going to put the slots. So you're just like, yeah, producer Dave, you fix it. You do what you need to do. Um, so I'll tell you what, since we have Rob Ayling in the studio, he's going, not in the studio, in the Zoom studio, if you will, he's going to be our spotlight for this week. So our film and TV news will be the interview that I, I am going to do later on today with uh, film actress, producer, and author of the book, Act- Actorpreneur. Uh, Jade Asher. So we'll do that in the film and TV news, and then we'll talk to Rob Ayling in our spotlight. So, producer Dave, cue up film and TV news. 
You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I have uh, with me in this Zoom session an actress, a producer, an author. Please tell us your name and the name of the book that you've just published. My name is Jade Asher, and I wrote the book Actorpreneur. Fantastic. So, Jade, let's start with the book. We're going to we'll start talking about the book first, and then we're going to move into your acting career and your producing uh, career. So, Tell us what is Actorpreneur all about? So it's basically a how-to book for working actors. So about a year ago, I there was this book came out and I was really excited because I thought, oh, it's written by one of my peers and it's all about how they do the process of auditioning and preparing for characters. I bought the book and it wasn't that. And I realized then that's something that I wanted and I wanted to find out how other people, you know, you, you get them a lot from the super famous actors, but I just wanted to hear about working British actors. And there wasn't really anything that existed like that. So I kind of thought I'll take all my courage and just put in everything that I personally do for my career and just share it that's fantastic and i i, I get your point because it's sort of you're looking for something and it's not there it's great just to find the market that you just say you know what i can't find it i'm just going to do it myself and then put it out there there are going to be loads of people that want to do the same thing as well um, so what was your process uh, uh going into writing this book like research interviews structure etc well, the book is basically it's a how to of running your own acting career. And it's all the points that I do. So for me, it was quite easy because I thought, well, let me start with drama training and then getting your first auditions and whether you want to uh, go to drama school or not. Some people choose to, some people don't. OK, so the book is all based on my personal experience. So. It's not something that I felt needed much research because this is stuff that I've been doing for the last 15 years. Um, yeah, there wasn't really any research unless I was given certain advice on casting websites or things like that. But I thought it was just for me, it was obvious to start at the beginning. So I started with um, why you should be an actor, you know, the thing that should really make you commit to this. And because it's not really one of those things you can half do. Um, and then I go on to talk about drama school training, whether you want to do that or not, getting your first headshots, getting your first credits. But then for the more advanced actors who have been working for a long time, I then go into my audition process, um, how I stay in touch with casting directors and build relationships and then everything up into doing intimate scenes and even um, attending premieres and doing your own PR. So it's quite easy. I basically started by, I didn't really know, it was one of those things I wasn't entirely sure exactly what I was writing until I started writing it. And so what I did was I wrote all the chapter titles and filled in the gaps. And every so often I found new things. I was like, oh, let me slot that in there and that and there. But that was kind of how I did it. That was my framework. That was going to be my very next question. I was going to, uh, I was going to ask, so did you just, at what, which point did you decide this is going to be the starting point? This is the first thing I need to know and then work my way through. So it, as you said, you kept all your chapters and then started filling them out. So that's great. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who's looking to write a book like that? So, I mean, you, you out of necessity, you were looking for the book and then you couldn't find it and you figured, you know what, I might as well just write from what I know. What advice would you give to someone like myself, for example, who I'm looking to go in and, and write a book about writing, although I'm starting from the point of view of a complete novice? What kind of advice could you give me uh, writing a book like that? I say if you're going to write a book, it's got to be something that you know a lot about. 
Um, it's got to be something that you're really invested in because you could be spending a lot of time on it. You, you know, you've got to be proud to promote it. And it's, you know, I think it's difficult to sell something unless it comes from the heart. So you've really got to believe in it and have a reason for wanting to share that message. And, you know, from my point of view, I wanted to help other people. And that's a really good angle, you know, sharing information, sharing knowledge. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a pro at it at all, but you have to have done enough research and, you know, have enough there to really kind of push through because it is quite a long process and you don't want to start working on something that you don't really love. So you've got to be really, you know, you've got to love what you're talking about. So how can people get this book? So it is available on Amazon. It is also available as an ebook, which is on iTunes and wherever. I'm not entirely sure where you get ebooks from. Um, and it got picked up for, and it's in Waterstones as well, which is exciting. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. And that's an actor, actorpreneur. So, yes, I have so. a website, www.actorpreneurbook.com. Fantastic. Okay, now let's move into the acting side of things. Um, so when did, you, uh, when did you go into acting? How long have you been acting for? So I've been acting probably, oh God, how am I now? Oh, 16 years. Uh, so that's like, the, the mental gymnastics you're thinking. It was like, well, okay, so how old I now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're coming up to, it was 15 when I released the book. It's about 16 years now. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I first started acting when I was about 13 years old, but it was kind of one of those things that was in me from when I was young. I just, I'd just be in awe of actors and theatre and stage. And I just never found anything that I loved quite as much as that. But I moved down to London from Norfolk, where I grew up when I was... 17 and yeah I've been down here since and it's not been an easy journey I'm one of those people it's kind of like if I can achieve what I've done then anyone that works hard and stays committed can do it as well because I'm not one of those people that had connections or you know I got rejected from drama school 30 times I gave up I didn't end up going and I forged a career out of just making things happen myself and I guess that's sort of the same sort of thing that you move you into the producing side of things because you're a producer as well. What made you make that extra step to become a producer? It wasn't something that I set out to do, but um, because I wanted to niche as an actor, I thought, well, okay, what, how can I sell myself? So I started doing stage combat and I thought, let me do this, be this action person. Um, I'm not the best at it because it turns out if someone wants someone to do action stuff, they want you to do backflips across the floor. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. Give me a sword. I can do a little dance routine with it. But like, yeah, so that wasn't really working out. But when I was training, I, I, I was really fortunate. I worked with a group of friends and one of them was like, we're going to go to Scotland, hire a minivan, shoot a film at this castle and let's go. And so I was thrown in the deep end. I was like, what do you want me to do? And he was like, I don't know, like turn this writing that I've made into a script. So I was like on the internet going, okay, into exterior, okay. So I just kind of like figured out the screenwriting process from Google pretty much. And um for, I just found that in that situation, I was a lot more into making it happen and organizing things. And then we did a few more productions and I just found that I was very much the person getting it from the start to the end. And then when I was looking at, you know, I, it's really interesting when you actually figure out the hierarchy of the film industry. And, you know, though actors are all the time chasing casting directors, 
ultimately above the casting directors, it's the directors and above the directors, it's the producers. So I'm like, well, why am I going to be this little fish down here? Let me just learn how to be a producer. I give myself roles. And that that's really, really helped my career, to be honest. I, I know exactly what you meant. You mean that's pretty much the same thing for me. It's sort of I started off as an actor and then. Uh, I, 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 there weren't many roles going out there for the people that look like me, sound like me. So I figured, you know what, the best thing to do is to write those scripts. So I started writing scripts for myself. And then I was giving it to people who would try and direct it. And I was like, hey, you know, you're missing the point about this. So I started taking my scripts back and started saying, I'll direct it. And obviously, as you said, you have to have somebody on top, right, who's the producer. And so I ended up being a writer, director, actor, producer. And it's like, almost had a nervous breakdown but i'm heading in that same direction again but i know better this time so um so throwing to you um jade asher actress producer author who's uh, talking to me marcus akko on the on shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm um what sort of projects interest you as an actress versus projects that interest you as a producer um as an actress i do look for people that are experienced because now having worked in film for a long time I've now you know I've I don't mind I'm like I'm really open to projects that I work on but having worked like even on big productions if it's a first-time director or producer there just can be so many hiccups um so I do try and look for people that have got work to the end and you know, got things out there because I find that so often people come in and say, you know, it's as easy as it can be to say I'm a producer, but th- there is a difference between the people that can actually get things from beginning to the end. So I do look like I, I do definitely look for experience and what people have done already, um, but mainly story and character. They are getting more exciting, and I actually find that the older I get the more interesting the roles are because there was this, you know, there's this old fashioned thing that you think as an actress, you're like, oh, well, I'll do it till I'm 30. And if it doesn't work out, blah, blah, blah. But actually I found that my twenties were so much harder because first of all, I was an inexperienced. And secondly, the roles weren't that exciting. And I'm really lucky because me as I am, you know, I'm um, obviously female and mixed ethnicity and it's just a really exciting time for people like me so though it has been really hard up until now I feel like you know the good roles are coming through so yeah I'm quite open generally but it will be a a character that is interesting and brings something to a story and a a story with a strong message. You raise a very good point about the fact that in your 20s your so the roles as you as you put it the roles aren't as interesting and I guess you also have the issue of uh, you know combating or as in going against going for certain roles with tons of other women young women who are trying to go for the same type of role as well um, and then the older you get you start getting a little bit more character built into the you know, you know I say character more personality built into the character um, because now you're talking about a woman with age with experience with with lived life experience and as such that those are actually the better roles to play for yeah, them yeah yeah they, no, are sorry. The better, they are the better roles but I think also obviously because it has been a very male dominated industry the way that men saw women in their 20s was also like you know for many years it's not been great and but now more female writers are coming through and people are realizing actually like you know no matter what age you are there is a bit more me but yes like definitely the roles are getting more interesting and it's interesting but 
by the time you get to your 30s, actually, there's lots less actors in your age bracket because a lot of people have either, you know, don't want to do it anymore or, you know, they're not committing as much. So actually, the longer you stay in it, the, the more chance you have of, you know, getting work. And that's as an actress. So now that you're also, you know, uh, playing at the top of the game where you are now a producer as well, uh, do the same sort of projects interest you as an actress as would a producer? So, I mean, me, for example, uh, there was a time in my life where I wanted to produce things that I wanted to be in, but that's not the point anymore. Mm. Is that the same thing for yourself? Yeah, that, that's what it started out as. And I think a few times it's maybe not been as good for the production because you're too focused on yourself looking good and that's not really like how you know your focus should be making a great piece of work for the world not not you know personally to make you look good so it's definitely changed the way that I'm looking at things and now I'm like I'm kind of moving towards you know do I want to do stuff that I'm not actually in as well um but the main difference would be budget because I know that when I'm producing, I'm still very low budget ends. Whereas, you know, when you're working, you're like, yeah, sure, I'll take anything. The bigger the budget, the better. Uh, of course, me- if it, it, I'm only doing this project if I can get a trailer and my own catering van. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, we're for definitely for lower budget things, if I'm producing, I'm like, okay, the budget's tight. So, you know, I've I've definitely become one of those writers that I'm like, okay, we've got to make this so it's not just crazy I, I write for producers essentially in that way fantastic so um I'll, there's one more question i want to ask but just before we go into that i want to ask uh, what film projects are you currently working on where can people who are listening to us on shoot the breeze on resonance fm get your work so i have a slate of about six or seven films that i'm actually producing at the moment um one of them i'm shooting at the end of the year it's a horror based in the uk and i also am doing a web series which is a lot more accessible and it's a lot going to be a lot faster to get out so as soon as lockdown lifts it's a black comedy and we're going to be shooting that asap which is exciting and uh, i have a short film out called The Contract which is on Amazon Prime I'm also in The Intent which is on Netflix and uh, No Shade which is on Amazon Prime as well. (laughs) Fantastic and um, you're on Clubhouse at the moment the app the social media well the social networking app on iPhone and uh, on Apple called Clubhouse and uh, you're you're very you're 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 very busy busy on there because you pretty much host uh, rooms on there almost every single day of the week. For those people who don't know what Clubhouse is, could you give us a quick uh, explanation as to what Clubhouse is and what rooms you run on Clubhouse? So Clubhouse is a new social media app which is all focused on people speaking, which makes it so much more interesting because you can really get to know a person so much more quickly and authentically through voice whereas you could have seven years I've been friends with people on Instagram and I'm like I don't even know who this person is um so it's it's amazing for networking because you can get you know very strongly acquainted very quickly with people internationally around the world in your subject so I highly recommend it it's been incredible for me I've had uh, three auditions uh, made amazing contacts with investors producers like people from just amazing artists as well so many people even 
actors that I've seen on telly and I was like I love that actors just wandered into one of my rooms that I was hosting and now we're working together there's just really strange things happening um so I host a room Monday to Friday every morning at 9 30 a.m that is my solid room that I run it's called UK Speed Networking and it is for creative people to just come in uh, we do it for half an hour so people come in tell us who they are and what they're looking for and I just say that if that's the only thing that you do for the day at least you've done something you can meet new people a lot of people are like in bed while they're like on the phone talking and introducing themselves so yeah that's us uh, that's what uh, I, I, I try my best to attend that session um not every day, but most of the time, because when I'm going out jogging in the morning, that's usually the time it's 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 there. I drop the kids off at school, and I'm ready to like to to just jump in and quickly do it. And you're right; it's 30 seconds of you introducing yourself to someone, and within that 30 minute gap, there are tons of people that you can meet, network with. Uh, we pretty much organized this because of that room, so that was great. Um, and I also had another; I've met a number of other. Uh, people project work is on someone else who's on the show on this episode today rob ailing i met him on the uh, in the room as well i think it's a great thing that you're doing with that room uh, i'll do my best to attend as many times as i can but obviously commitments and everything can be confusing. We love having you in the room we're glad it fits in you know we wanted to pick a time slot that worked for people that was the main thing and even if you can't come obviously some people can't you can't come every day it'd be a bit much if you came every day but once a week is more than enough to pop in and say hi. It's always a pleasure having you in the room. Absolutely. Jade, thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Um, whenever we have, any, whenever you have any other projects that you want to promote, give me a shout. We'd be happy to get you back on Shoot the Breeze and uh, talk more about that project. And we'll definitely be looking into getting Actorpreneur. I'm going to download that book on Kindle. I, I prefer wood, um, physical books anyway. So I'm going to get that book and I'm going to read it so I can see how I can improve myself <laughs> as an actor. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And I've just finished talking to Jade Ashad, actress, producer, and uh, uh, author of Actorpreneur. Uh, that was a great interview. It was a fantastic interview with Jade Asher. But now we have with us filmmaker uh, uh, and a comic book extraordinaire, uh, comic book extraordinaire, uh, <laughs> Rob Ailing. Rob, how are you doing? I'll take that. Comic book extraordinaire. I'll take that. I'll put that on my business card immediately under director and writer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just fill it up. When I, the, the YouTube channel I do, uh, The Idiot on the Writer's Block, right? I, I call myself The Idiot. But then a lot of the experts, a number of the experts that have been coming on have been saying, no, I want to be called an, an idiot or some form of idiot. So I, I now have um, an, a writer who's called a fellow idiot, uh, mm. Jamie F uh, Fairley. She's called fellow idiot. And another author, Connor uh, Braden, who's called uh, Total Egypt. He's Irish. So he suggested Total Egypt. So yes, Comic book extraordinaire is what we're going to be throwing your way. You are a huge Batman fan. Am I am, am I right in, in in assuming that from the fact that I'm seeing your you, you know I'm watching you over Zoom and I'm seeing you with a Justice League T-shirt. You've got a Batman hat on. You've got two pictures in the background. So it's safe to say that you maybe like Batman. Is that correct? Um, I have um feelings about the character. Actually, no, that sounds a bit more more sexual. Way. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Um, yeah, I um I have a very fond um. Uh, feelings about the character you know I've grown up with this character it is a character that I grew up with from a very young age and everything from the comics to the animated tv series to the films you know it's it's pretty much shaped 
who who I am to this day, and uh, and it's also led to this new fan film, Living in Crime Alley. So in fact, yeah, I'm a fan. I would very much like to talk to you about that, uh, the fan film, which is what we're going to do in Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I call producer Dave while his mic is muted. So that's that's awesome. I was I was, it, I, was I was thinking, oh, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And he did it. Uh, producer Dave, you're on mute. <laughs> uh, he's forgotten how to unmute. No, no, no. I, 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 well, Zoom is supposed to temporarily unmute if you press certain thing. I pressed that thing, and I said, I'm producer Dave. And did it work? No. <laughs> so I saw your, I saw your lips move, and I was like. Yeah, I, I, I saw Bad your lips zoom. move and I was like, that's good. Bad Zoom. Bad Zoom. And anyway, we have filmmaker Rob Ailing on our Zoom studio with us. Uh, Rob has made a fan film, a Batman fan film called Living in Crime Alley. So, Rob, let me throw to you. Tell us what your fan film is about. Tell us which world, what brought you to do this particular project? Uh, so Living in Crime Alley tells the story of a single father trying to bring up their daughter who is a big fan of the Dark Knight uh, in downtown Gotham uh, known as um, Park Row but also known as Crime Alley and the story is um, delves into uh, financial struggle and how do we bring hope um, to an otherwise hopeless city and it also fundamentally questions the idea of justice and the grey area that justice covers with um, the the um, and the Batman in this uh, particular fan film is questioned by the end uh, um, finale of the film, and uh, hopefully that hasn't given too much away. But uh, um, I'd like to think of it as more of a drama, um, which happens to have Batman in it rather than a um, traditional fan film. Um, but um, yeah, I think um, people will get a kick out of this um, for sure. Uh, I like I like that I, I like the idea of what you did because it essentially. The, as you as you've described, it's not a film about Batman. It's it, literally he's a he's a side character in the project in the film itself in the story itself. The story focuses primarily on this dad and his daughter, right? So it's just and I loved that sort of dynamic. And I love one one thing I really a lot of projects I really like to watch. Um, are when you have um, more of an insight into the bad characters and why they do what they do, and that's essentially what this this film is about. Mm. It's eight minutes long. It's nice and compact. There, there's no fluff in it, uh, which a lot of fan films that I've watched, I've I participated in a couple myself, um, where there's a lot of padding that is added to increase the runtime in order to either hit certain targets in certain film festivals or whatnot. You didn't, you didn't, you, from what I, and I haven't spoken to you about this, it's the first time we're really talking about this. Um, from what I could see, you didn't do that to meet any kind of qualification whatsoever it was literally this is a story i want to tell i don't care who sees it it is and it's it's great it's really nice and very well done even when batman comes in uh, and i want to ask a, a number of questions about the whole idea behind fan films as well but let's on why you wanted to dive into a side character or i say no, you, you wanted to accentuate sort of the 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 no-named villain on the street rather than focus on the Batman. Because if you're doing a fan fiction of something that is already a uh, Hollywood property, 
you surely you could go for the big picture, right? You could go for the big guy. Why did you choose to go for someone else as the lead of this film? So I essentially went for this um, direction because we're so used to seeing Batman higher to uh, above in the sky, above buildings from his perspective. And what I don't think has been tackled enough necessarily in neither the comics or in the films um, is the Gothamite story, the, the ground level story. And that was a really interesting perspective for me of actually living in this world, knowing that there is a six foot four guy in a bat suit roaming around taking down criminals and yet um you could turn every corner and he might be be there or he might not but you've got to be cautious about the decisions that you make um and then the reason for that kind of um perspective as well was i was essentially writing what i knew which was being financially um not in the best way possible like um back in 2017 when i wrote the screenplay i had just uh, lost my job and I was trying to find ways of being creatively happy, but also trying to find new work. And I essentially wrote what I knew, which was being very poor and being um, brought up by a single parent for the last 25 years. And um, they say, write what you know, and that's exactly what I did. And then as you can see around me, I'm surrounded by my Batman memorabilia and you know, fan fandom that I just thought to myself, well, what would happen if you brought Batman into a scenario like that? Would he be able to understand uh, a true Gotham's, uh, Gotham citizen's perspective on what it truly means to live in Gotham? Because at the end of the day, you must remember that Bruce Wayne is a corporate head. He's the richest person in Gotham and he won't have an understanding of that. So that is why we treat Batman the way we do in this film. Uh, where did you shoot this film? Because if, if uh, we'll talk about where people can go and watch this, but where did you shoot? As you said, you weren't working, so essentially funds uh, would be would be strapped for you at that point, and uh, it's not easy unless you get a massive crowd behind you to crowdfund a fan film, which you didn't. Uh, where did you Where did you set this location? Where did you shoot the the, the film? Uh, and where, where that's the question. Where did you shoot this film? Um, I should correct you. Um, we did actually have a very small Indiegogo campaign. So we did have a small crowdfund campaign. It was a very small amount, but a, a, a very decent amount to kind of get us moving. And then all of it was just self-funded from there. But we shot this in Bristol in the UK. Um, I mean, it would have been very easy to just jump to London and film um, in London in the usual spots where the Dark Knight trilogy or even um, the Batman 89 film would shoot as well. But for me, I thought it was actually quite a unique um, thing to do to actually film in a city where th this world has not been brought up before. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of Gothic buildings in Bristol and there's, you know, specific alleyways, which are very grungy. And, you know, I'm trying not to make it sound dirty, but actually it is dirty at times. But, you know, Bristol is overall a clean place. Let me just clarify that point. But um, it was a perfect backdrop for a unique different kind of Gotham City that we were bringing to the to the to the screen here so uh, that is the well, choice why we went for it don't worry Bristol tourism police are right side, uh, outside your door they're waiting to <laughs> as soon as this interview finishes they're gonna come in and we're like yeah could you pack your stuff up and, and yeah yeah but no it's I, I, I respect that decision to actually shoot somewhere else other than London because one of the things about that is because you're trying to establish that this is Gotham City a fictional location um what you end up doing because you're shooting it in a place that hasn't seen uh, the public hasn't really seen that much um it, it does add that element of uh, realism if you will to 
Gotham City. Had you shot it in London, a lot of people would be taken out of the movie because the moment they see that alleyway or the moment they see that structure, like, no, no, this isn't Gotham, this is London because we've seen it in all these films. So I think that actually works to the film's um, credit where it does look, if I were to picture anything to say that this is Gotham City crime alley, this is Gotham City, um, you know, Arkham Asylum is just down the road from here. That basically stuck uh, stuck with me. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm producer Dave. And we're with filmmaker Rob Ayling, who has made a uh, fan film, uh, a Batman fan film, Living in Crime Alley. Now, I've worked on, uh, on a couple of projects that are fan fiction films based on uh, bigger name projects products um one i did a few a few years ago uh, superman requiem which was kind of it's in the dc universe as well now what sort of trouble or what obstacles did you have to go through in order to tell a story in an already established world if you will owned by production companies that literally could do what i said earlier where they could have a, a team of lawyers standing outside your door with a cease and desist order telling you to shut down your project what sort of obstacles did you have to jump over in order to get this fan film made i mean fundamentally speaking um there wasn't a huge obstacle in that regards like it was more of just making sure that every piece of paperwork that um we had and every time we were um doing something in regards to the film, it would say this is a non-profit fan film. Because as long as you don't make any money on the film that you make, um, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Now, I know that there are certain production companies out there. I know that uh, Paramount, for example, are very strict on their Star Trek fan films now, that they've even put a listing of rules that you have to um, stand by. And I think with Warner Brothers, it's you can do whatever you want as long as you don't affect the continuity of the the characters such to bringing something completely um alien as it were to to the to the fold of it so completely fresh as it were um so yeah that was that was pretty much what um the focus there for me was was to try not to um because ultimately it's a it's a you know despite the fact that the film is trying to raise a lot of questions about justice and crime and uh financial struggle it is I would say a love letter to Batman and the 80 plus years of this character. So I think the best way to go about it that I had to do was just to respect the material as much as I could by also bringing something completely fresh to it. And that's why I stuck to the more human drama um, rather than the, the fantastical um, of, as I said before, just a man dressed in a flamboyant Batman suit, you know, it's uh, um, yeah. Which Batman did you base your Batman on? So you have you've had the bat, you know, Batfleck, you've had Christian Bale, you've had uh Michael Keaton, and that's just a big crest uh, on a small screen, and you have um Conroy uh, on the animation and so on. Which Batman did you base your Batman on? See, I feel like I'm cheating again here because I kind of want to say all of them, but at the same time, like the most obvious one that you'll see on the screen is the the Michael Keaton look because we've got the cowl and we've got the faux leather cape. Um, but in terms of the color scheme and the actual overall aesthetic of the actual film itself, I would ultimately say that my goal was to kind of bring a um, Batman the Animated TV series episode to life. 
And especially with the color scheme of the suit being gray and the uh, inside of the cape being dark blue, so similar to that picture in the background just there. It's because that is for me the definitive uh, Batman that we have seen. And we can say that we've seen him on the big screen, of course, with the um, Mask of the Phantasm as well. And yeah, for me, the neo-noir, uh, sorry, the film noir aesthetic of uh, Batman, the animated TV series is the perfect way to, to bring in that character and that world. And I really love that. And I thought to myself that that is something you can... Um, make accessible to a general audience and for me that's why we um to, although many people believe that this is set in the 89 um batman universe even though vice versa those two pro those two properties are influencing one another so you know you've got the 89 and batman returns um being a complete spin-off kind of to batman the animated tv series and uh having the influences there so it's almost like a shared shared universe almost that and shared influence there so um yeah you're planning on stepping foot back into the uh the world of gotham to make any more fan fiction uh, films oh this is such a tough one um so i i would love to say no i do you know what i will say i will say this um living crime alley is its own standalone piece I don't see it being like a sequel, like what is it? What would that even be? Living in Crime Alley 2, even more crime? Um, or, you know, um, Fathers for Justice. Crime harder. Uh, crime yeah, harder. Crime harder. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's so much better. Uh, live free, Crime <laughs> Alley. Um, yeah. Um, I, I see Living in Crime Alley as a standalone um, film. However, if DC or HBO were to come to me and say, do you want to, you know, do a Gothamite story series, you know, like a, uh, a series entirely based on um, Gotham citizens' perspective of how they view the Batman, then yeah, absolutely. You're damn right. I'll take that opportunity because, you know, there are more stories you can tell about Gotham citizens because ultimately these are people that we can identify with. You know, even if we can't always identify with Batman, through either the fact that he's rich or that he has all these, you know, fantasy elements to him, he is still a human being at the end of the day who is using his grief as a form of, you know, power and weapon, you know, and that's something to, we can all inspire to. But the Gotham citizens in this are very much us. And that is something that carries through um, into the Gotham universe. And I would love to, to go back to Gotham um, if it was to keep telling those perspectives or if they ended up saying, do you know what, kid, you got something. We'll give you Batman Beyond. That's my dream project. I would love that as well. But uh, put it this way, whether it's in fan film form or HBO Max or DC Entertainment form, I will be returning to Gotham one day. Well, HBO Max are looking for tons of projects, obviously, to fill to try and get that, you know, get more subscribers in. So you never know if they, if they, if, hey, we've got a connection with Warner Brothers. It's a very tenuous connection. They want us to promote their <laughs> stuff. So they send us links. So it's great. And you know what? If any, if anyone in HBO Max or Warner Brothers are listening, you should go and check out Living in Crime Alley made by uh, Rob Ailing. Rob, where can people find this movie? Uh, they can find this on YouTube. It's just uh, Living in Crime Alley, Batman fan film. And it's just there. Excellent. Producer Dave, you had a comment to make? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you made the, the film because you obviously are 
focusing on something that we don't see in normal Batman things, which is that um, you're talking about the Gothamites themselves. And I always wondered why they never really showed Batman tackling the low level crime that was going on. Um, there was always the Fantasticals, the Penguins, the, the, you know, all those other people. And it's one of those things that kind of turned me off it, if you see what I'm saying, because he was always going for the big fish, but the look, all, all the people living in the city were still suffering. And that makes it interesting as far as I'm concerned, yeah. No, thank you, I, I mean, really do appreciate that. No, it's, it's, it's a very, very good film. Very good film. Um, uh, Rob, thank you very much for joining us. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And in fact, I was I, I kind of skipped into the wrap-up of the show bit because I wanted to thank Rob and, and ask him really quickly, Rob, what are you doing? Are you doing any other, are you working on any other projects uh, that you'd like to uh, talk about now? Or are you sort of keeping that hush-hush because it's in development? I mean, there are a few things that I'm working on that are in development. Um, I'm working on not one, but two feature films. Um, um, one of them will be my feature film debut, I hope, um, in the either this year or in the next year. So that's really exciting. Uh, and then in the meantime, I'm just working on other um, short film productions. And one in particular that I've just released um, um, to the film festival circuit is a short documentary that I made in the first national lockdown. And uh, it's doing pretty well at the moment in terms of the festival circuit. And uh, we hope to continue that um, throughout the, yes, the rest of the year. What's it called? All right, it's, um, it's called Hands. It's a 90 second micro short. I look forward to seeing Excellent. that. Rob, thank you very much. You're, you're gonna be welcome onto the show as whenever you're ready to come in and talk about any of your projects, we're happy to have you on. And to be honest, I'm, I have, after having watched uh, Living in Crime Alley, I'm actually looking forward to working with you as a filmmaker, and we can talk about that off, off air, no problem. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's and been a pleasure. You've been, not a problem. You're, uh, thank you. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We want to thank all of you very much for listening to us, keeping, you know, still staying with us, even through my ramblings and through uh, producer Dave, uh, his, his producer Dave's quiet moments and muted moments. <laughs> just, sort of, just wanted to throw him under the bus there, but then I thought different about it. Hang on, Marcus, now that you've thrown me under the bus, um, how about we have a quick chat about the BAFTAs this weekend? Yes, that's right, because BAFTAs is this weekend, isn't it? Uh, the uh, Yes, that's fantastic. See, that's why you're called Producer Dave. You, <laughs> you, you make sure I stay on topic and look at some of the important film and TV news in the film and TV news segment uh, of this show. So 2021 uh, British, EE uh, British Academy Film Awards, also known as the BAFTA, the, is going to be happening. Plenty, plenty of, uh, of, of films on, on both on demand and on the big screen, even though we haven't been going to cinemas recently, uh, basically are popping up. And I guess one of the things the BAFTA wants to do is show up people like Golden Globe and uh, the Academy Awards by being as diverse as they can be. Because when you look at the people who are being nominated in many of the major categories, a lot of them are filled with either people of color or uh, women, which is fantastic because obviously it's great to be recognized for your talent rather than just being sort of like a name check. And all of these films that seem to have popped up, all these uh, performers, directors, producers are all doing exceedingly good work and so it's it's great that they're given the chance to actually shine, as opposed to just shunted into the corner because oh, because of their their gender or their race. 
So let's have a quick look at some of the films that are actually being, some of the films, some of the actors that are being recognized in the 2021 BAFTA ceremony. So first of all, we'll jump in with new uh, best film. Now I know we did something like this when we talked about uh, Oscars a few weeks ago, and we hadn't seen a number of the films that were on there. So for best film this year, BAFTA uh, nominated The Father, with Anthony Hopkins in it. The Mauritanian, which is on Amazon Prime at the moment, which has, I believe, Jodie Foster. Yeah, Jodie Foster's in it, yeah. Ooh, so a number of other people uh, in it as well. Uh, but yeah, I Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, he's uh, on that, and he's a producer, I believe, as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. And there's uh, there's the, I think he's, he's French-Algerian that always pops up in the film, and he's being nominated as well in as a best actor. Tahar Rahim, uh, which I remember seeing him in A Prophet a few years ago. Phenomenal, underrated actor, but I think he's being recognized by uh, the BAFTA for this film. But the film, um, The Mauritanian, is in the nomination for Best Film. Nomad Land with uh, Francis McDormand is in, in, in there as well. Uh, a Promising Young Woman and Trial of the Chicago 7, which I saw. That one, that one I've seen. Promising Young Woman, I have seen. Uh, are really, 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 really good. I, I, the father will take it, mainly because of Anthony Hopkins and uh, Olivia Coleman, heavy hitters, obviously. Um, in that list, David, have you seen any of those films? Not a single one. I, I still <laughs> need to. I still need to watch the trial of the Chicago Seven, but everything else is like um, it is on on demand at some point, sometime, but not necessarily now. So uh, sure, yeah. Um, that, that. That's, that's, I mean, I, I definitely would say watch uh, Trial of Chicago 7. It's great. It's on Netflix now, so you can check it out. Um, Mauritanian is on Amazon Prime. So these are, if you have those options, you could. There's the Outstanding British Film category, which is separate from the Best Film category. Uh, this one we have Calm with Horses, The Dig, The Father appears in both, um, His House, and uh, Limbo, The Mauritanian, Mogul Mowgli, A Promising Young Woman, Rocks, and Saint Maud. So a number of the best film uh, uh, entries also pop up in the outstanding British film. So those ones as well, really. So I think one of those ones, if, if, if the father doesn't take best film, then it'll probably take best, uh, best film. It'll take one of those two, in my opinion anyway. But please don't put your money on my opinion because I'm wrong most of the time. Um, let's jump to next category, which is Outstanding Debut by a British Writer, Director or Producer. Uh, we have His House, which is also part of, which is also in Outstanding British Film. Limbo, which is also from Outstanding British Film. Moffy, Rocks, St. Maud. Uh, so those are, so those essentially land in, in those two categories. I, I haven't seen any of them. His House, I wanted to see. I think I had the opportunity to see it. I probably still have the opportunity to see it. I'll try and go back and see it. Uh, and I, I really, I, I, it's, it's a, you know, the pedigree of that movie is fantastic. The lead and uh, the lead actors in it are some of my favorites. Whenever they pop up in different films, they're my personal favorites. Whenever I see, them, I'm like, yes, I want to see this because you're in it. Um, one of the actors in it, I think, is the lead in it. Uh, his name, oh, his name escapes me. But every every time, um, hold on, is Sokbe Drisu, Sokbe Drisu. Yes, I remember him. He pops up in a number of stuff. There's one film, one TV show on Sky, which is 
Gangs of London, I believe it is. And he's amazing in that film. So um, I think, you know, I, that is his house. I know he's going to be a moving performance in that. So I definitely recommend uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, if you get the opportunity to see it, definitely go and see that film. Um, let's move on to two major categories. We'll talk about uh, best supporting, uh, sorry, best actor and or leading actor and leading actress. We'll start with the leading actress uh, category. You have uh, uh, Bucky Bakray from In Rocks. You have Radha Blank from the 40-year-old version. Vanessa Kirby from Pieces of a Woman. Uh, Frances McDormand from No Man Land. Um, Wunmi Mosaku from His House, also someone who pops up in various things. And I really like her. She was in um, uh, uh, Lovecraft Country and she was phenomenal in Lovecraft Country. Uh, that's Wunmi Mosaku. I should remember that name because every time I see her, I'm like, I don't remember your name, but I know your work and you're amazing. And Alfre Woodard uh, from Clemency. And then leading actor, we have Riz Ahmed, from Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That I'm gonna put money on, he's gonna win it. It's a posthumous uh, award, he's dead. Uh, he, so bluntly, he's dead, but that's not it. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther, uh, I think he's. I think he deserves every um, <clears throat> award going for that particular performance, not because he died, but because, I mean, his death added a little bit more poignancy to that particular role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which you can catch on Netflix. I, I think he, he just, he shows how much of a fantastic performer he is in that particular role. I think you should check it out, definitely. Um, Adaresh Gurav in The White Tiger, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Mads Mikkelsen in Another Round, and Tahar Rahim from The Mauritanian. So heavy hitters, and it's, 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 it's not even just heavy hitters as well. <clears throat> obviously, obviously you have your regulars, right? You have your Anthony Hopkins, your Francis McDormand, uh, your Alfre Woodards, who when they pop up, usually it's like, yeah, you know they're going to be good. But it seems this year, a lot of those people who are being nominated are a lot of underrated yet dependable cast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed is just phenomenal in everything that you see him in. However, if I were to say Riz Ahmed before this year, if I say Riz Ahmed to just the regular um, cinema goer, they would not know who he is until I show a picture. He's been in Nightcrawler. He's in The Night Of. It's a TV series on BBC, on um, Sky. Uh, and he's he, tons of stuff that he's in that you watch him and you know that this is four, uh, four, four lines. I mean, come on. Dude gives a visceral performance every time he's doing it. I will always champion for Riz Ahmed, although, and while I would really have liked him to get the, the BAFTA um, for this, for, for Sound of Metal, even though I haven't seen Sound of Metal, but I know I can depend on him being an amazing actor. I prefer that award to go to Chadwick Boseman because my dude needs to get that award. And I, he doesn't need to, obviously, but, you know, it, it should go to him. That's what it is. Um, Riz Ahmed can do another performance next year and win it then. Besides, he's also going for an Oscar, which he probably won't win because of uh, who who else is, I think, oh, because he's going to lead lead actor and neither Kaluuya nor uh, Lakeith Stanfield are going in that one either. But, and speaking of um, of those roles as well, because uh, uh, David, you, you were talking about um, the uh, when we talked last about 
Judas and the Black Messiah, which I know we haven't really fully spoken about yet, uh, but we will. And we talked a little bit the last time we spoke about Oscars. But um, in the Best Supporting Actor category, Daniel Kaluuya pops up in there for Judas and the Black Messiah. What are you, what, just to remind people, if people hadn't, hadn't caught the previous one, what are your thoughts about Daniel Kaluuya as Best Supporting Actor? Oh, no, Judas? Best Supporting Actor, fine. Yeah. As Best Supporting Actor, fine. But I'm, I'm surprised by the... Li- the absence of Lakeith, so okay. um, so yeah, it's a it, it it is a bit sort of like, mm, as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, sure. so since I mentioned uh, him in black support in like, black supporting actor in uh, best supporting actor, uh, you also have other people like uh, Barry Keegan in Calm with Horses, Alan Alan Kim in Minari, Leslie Odom Jr. in uh, One Night in Miami. Clark Peters in The Five Bloods. We talked about Five Bloods a, a while ago. He got nominated. I love Clark Peters. Mm. I love the storm in the wire. I think he's amazing as well. Um, and he's being nominated here. And I'm like, oh, you know, I love to, I would love him to get that recognition of actually winning the award. But obviously, Kaluuya is going to get it. He's going to take that award because he won the Golden Globe. He's going to be a clean sweep for Kaluuya. He's going to take Golden Globe. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put my money down. He's going to take the Oscar for, for, for nominated him when, for Get Out. He didn't win that. He wasn't going to win that, but he's going to win for this one. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. Thank you all very much for listening to us. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. I'm mute again. (laughs) Saying thank you very much for listening. (laughs) Yeah, we'll speak to you all next week. Wait, we still have to try to figure out how to get the show properly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.